Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, September 21st, 2022 and the end of week 30 of the Russia-Ukraine War. It's been 3,126 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 210 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, Russia's partial mobilization of up to 300,000 reservists will not significantly impact the trajectory of the war in Ukraine because of poor equipment, training, command, morale, and the well-known realities of the war in Ukraine among Russian veterans. Second, Partial mobilization will make it far more difficult to control the internal narrative within Russia of the Russian armed forces' superiority and that the, quote, special military operation continues to go as planned. Third, Russian President Vladimir Putin's language on nuclear weapons, coupled with his advisor Alexander Dugin's statements on September 15th, has us concerned the world was restarted down the path of the mutually assured destruction instability paradox after walking back from it in May. Fourth, the sham referendums will not change the tactics or strategy of Ukraine or its Western supporters, as Ukraine has already attacked Russia and Russia-occupied Crimea, and the Kremlin ignored both previous red lines. Fifth, we maintain the rushing sham referendums for the annexation of Donetsk, Luhansk, and Kherson are implausible, and the votes will be anything but free and fair. Sixth, we maintain the continued Russian offensive on Bakhmut Solidar is completely pointless and will not provide a tactical or a strategic victory. Seventh, we maintain our assessment that as the situation for Russian troops in Kherson worsens due to supply issues and conditions, forces will seek to surrender. Eighth, we maintain our assessment that the Russian military in Ukraine is combat-destroyed and has no meaningful way to respond to the ongoing collapse. And finally, there is an increased risk that if the, quote, special military operation fails after partial mobilization, the Putin regime will face a political upheaval that could result in government changes. Let's get some regional updates, starting, of course, with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. We've updated the Russian objective to include holding a referendum for Russian annexation by September 27th, in addition to holding existing defensive lines, protecting remaining lines of communication, called locks, those are supply lines, 
defending Kherson, preventing envelopment on the western side of the Dnipro River, and restricting insurgent activity. Ukraine maintains tight operational security on the counter-offensive activities in Kherson, Zaporizhia, and northeast Donetsk. The Russian information space was almost a vacuum, with a strong focus on the legislation changes by the Russian state Duma. Our usual source for transcripts of the morning update from the Russian Ministry of Defense didn't create one. Ukraine continues its operational pause, and the Russian army remains combat-destroyed. Russian sources did not report on any kinetic warfare in Kherson. Reading between the lines based on artillery reports and social intelligence, it appears there was fighting north and northwest of Kherson. Novohryorivka, Ternovipodi, Mirn, Blachodatne, Pravdine, and Miroliobivka were shelled. In our assessment, all of these settlements, except Mirn, are likely swapping control and are no-man's land. The Russian Ministry of Defense released a video of a group of Ukrainian armored vehicles and a field ambulance shelled on the western edge of Pravdine. The MTLBS medical evacuation vehicle was marked with the Red Crosses, and there wasn't a secondary explosion after it was hit. Losses included an armored personnel carrier and several BMP-2 infantry fighting vehicles, or IFVs. Operational Command South, or OCS, reported that a Russian forward ammunition depot was destroyed in Pravdine on September 19th, and a command base was destroyed on September 20th. Videos and pictures from across Ukraine have shown Russian forces keep significant amounts of unsecured ammunition in open pits, sometimes directly on the line of conflict. Shelling reports implied there had been no change on the Inulets River bridgehead. A video showed a Russian tank destroyed by a high-explosive anti-tank off-route mine in Davidi Brid. An off-route mine is triggered by a tripwire or sensor that detects when a vehicle is passing by and fires a very short-distance anti-tank missile, for lack of a better explanation, into the side of the vehicle. Now, usually this wouldn't even register in a footnote, but the incident happened on the eastern edge of Davribrid, well beyond the known line of conflict. It raises questions on how much control Russian forces have of the town, but isn't enough evidence to change the status. Late last week, Russian sources reported that Ukrainian special operation forces were operating east of the settlement and harassing the Russian rear. This video serves as a confirmation of those reports. Russia is increasing its use of Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones in Kherson and Mykolaiv. One was shot down while another was struck in Ochakiv on the Black Sea coast across from the Kinburn Spit. We had reported last week that claims by the Russian Ministry of Defense that Ukraine has been launching amphibious landings on the spit were derided as fantasy by numerous Russian mill bloggers. The missile strikes and kamikaze drone strikes on Ochakiv may be fueled by the Russian Ministry of Defense belief that there has been, or will be, an attempt to land naval infantry on the spit. OCS reported the Ukrainian Air Force flew seven ground support missions and shot down a Russian Su-25 ground attack aircraft, and ground forces carried out 210 fire missions. Verified Russian aircraft losses have increased in the last month, with Russian pilots under pressure to take bigger risks. There are reports that spare parts are becoming an issue for the Russian Air Force, 
due to sanctions and high operational tempo deferring routine maintenance. Precision artillery and rockets fired by HIMARS destroyed a convoy attempting to cross the partially repaired Kachovka Dam. Russian engineers have attempted to repair the destroyed structure by filling the spillway with gravel and rubble. An electronic warfare station was destroyed at the airport in Chernobyvka, and an ammunition depot was destroyed in Kherson. Our assessment of Kherson and Mykolaiv is unchanged from September 11th. We recapped it on Monday's episode around minute three. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. There was no change in status at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Pro-Russian sources claim the power plant was directly shelled with the plant cooling system destroyed and the dining hall struck while employees were eating. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, which has two full-time on-site inspectors, did not report any activity at the plant on its website or Twitter account. There was also no mention of any activity at ZNPP at the United Nations General Assembly meeting that is in progress. At the time of recording, there were no reports of attacks on Nikopol or the surrounding area. In northern Zaporizhia, the town of Komashovaka and the village of Yulivka were struck by Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for ground attack. There wasn't any information on damage or casualties. There is a railroad station in Komashovaka and a dam that holds a small reservoir on the Konka River in Yulivka. The S-300 missile is not explicitly designed for a ground attack, but can be used in a pinch. It's just not particularly accurate. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southern Zaporizhia. We've updated the Russian objective to include holding a referendum on annexation by September 27th, in addition to defending the existing line of conflict and ending the insurrection that is throughout the Russian-controlled territory. Fighting is ongoing in certain areas, but there has been a request to maintain operational security. Otherwise, there was only sporadic artillery fire along the line of conflict from the Donetsk-Zaporizhia administrative border to Huliapola to Orkhiv to Malishirvaki. In southwest Donetsk, we've also updated the Russian objective to include holding a referendum on annexation by September 27th, in addition to maintaining existing defensive lines and bringing the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, militia did not report on any offensive operations and did not release videos from recent combat. West of Donetsk, The GSAFU and pro-Russian sources reported reconnaissance, skirmishes and positional fighting on the outskirts of Piski near the E-50 ring road and in Pervomaiske and Marinka. Elements of the 1st Army Corps continued to attack Ukrainian positions east of Novomikhailivka. In Bakhmut, for the second day in a row, there weren't any significant attempts to advance on Solidar, Bakhmut or Bakhmutska. Pro-Russian accounts walked back earlier claims that the private military company or PMC Wagner Group had advanced deep into Bakhmut. GSAFU reported that Russian units and Wagner had suffered heavy casualties around Bakhmut, and the hospital in Khorlivka was filled to capacity with wounded soldiers and mercenaries. 
Russian forces continued artillery strikes on Bakhmut and the surrounding towns of Soledar, Yakovlivka, and Bakhmutske. PMC Wagner Group continued their attempts to advance into Vesela Dolina, Odradivka, and Mykolaivka Drucha without success, and continued to send reconnaissance units in the direction of Kurdyumivka. Coffee break was over for the Kadyrovites with 141st Akhmat, who tried to advance back into Mayorsk and capture Zaitseve. Second verse, same as the first, there was no success to be found, and still no TikTok videos. In northeast Donetsk and Luhansk, we've updated both belligerents' objectives. The Russian objective is to hold an annexation referendum by September 27th, hold current defensive lines, control insurgency, and integrate captured territory into Russia. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, prevent the retreat of Russian soldiers from Lehman, make opportunistic territorial gains, support insurgents, and interdict supplies. Reports of fighting within Lehman were likely exaggerations. Ukrainian and Russian sources reported heavy artillery fire on the southern and western edges of the town. Reports of a Russian offensive southeast of Lehman are false. There were unconfirmed reports that Ukrainian forces had liberated Koroviyar and fighting continued in or near Dobresheve. Fighting for control of Rupci continued. Pro-Russian account Rybar reported that Ukraine had captured Spirne and was attempting to advance north to capture the Verknokamyanka oil refinery. PMC Wagner reportedly was being sent to the area to block the approach, indicating there is a significant troop shortage. Some assessment here. Verknokamyanka is the gateway to Lysychansk. Liberation of the plant and securing complete control of Zolotarivka would open a path to advance on Lysychansk from two directions. It is, however, unlikely that Ukraine will launch an offensive of this scale in the short term. A rocket attack using HIMARS struck a Russian troop concentration in Alchevsk. Photos from Stakhanov provided a battle damage assessment after a HIMARS strike on September 19th. A former veterinary hospital that was closed sometime before February 24th was leveled. PMC Wagner Telegram Channel had an online dispute with the commander of the Chechen 141st Akhmat, Apte Alaudnov. Alaudnov announced that a large offensive had been started to capture the city of Siversk by Akhmat and Wagner. Andrei Troshev shared with Grayzone, quote, I have no information that Wagner is advancing with Akhmat units in the Siversk direction. End quote. <laughs> Ouch. It gets worse for Akhmat, though, with Grayzone throwing Alaudnov under the bus, writing about the alleged offensive, quote, from where the Akhmat unit was previously knocked out by the enemy, end quote. <laughs> so much drama. Okay, some assessment here. Friction between Chechen troops and all other units fighting for Russia are well documented. S-300 anti-aircraft missiles fired by Russia struck a retail store in Slovyansk, destroying it. Almost 90% of the population evacuated in March and April, so the store was closed. Serhii Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the commander's offices and an ammunition depot were destroyed in Russian-occupied Svatov. Haidai also reported that Wagner had suffered heavy casualties, with the main hospital in Luhansk overflowing with wounded mercenaries. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. 
Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at News. Moving on to the Kharkiv region, where both belligerents were silent on activity. There were unconfirmed reports of fighting in the Dovorichna-Khryanikivka-Dovorichne region and in Kupyansk. Russia attacked the Pechny Reservoir, striking the dam and the surrounding area with seven missiles. The reservoir holds back the Siversky Donetsk River, and its destruction would be, in a word, catastrophic. Residents of Pechny were told to leave their cell phones on and be prepared to evacuate. In the Cherniev and Sumy region, Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported the Hromadas of Shalahin, Velika Pisarivka, Yunakivka, Krasnopilia, Bilopilia, Esmen, and Novosloboda were attacked by mortars and artillery shells fired by Russian forces from across the international border. The attacks included a border skirmish near Shalahin with light arms and rocket-propelled grenades being exchanged. Some homes and farms were damaged, along with livestock killed across the oblast. In Cherniev, Zalizny Mist, Mykhailov, and Huta Studenetska were also shelled by Russian troops from across the international border. There were no reports of injuries or significant damage. In western Ukraine, a supercell thunderstorm that produced at least a funnel cloud passed near Lviv. The video of the storm passing through the city is impressive, with satellite funnels spinning around the core. We link to it in our full situation report on Patreon, and weather nerds, it's pretty cool. On the Russian front, Russian sources reported that Ukraine shelled Tietkino. The town on the Sumy Oblast border is the site of a Russian firebase that has fired artillery and mortar shells into Ukraine for months. Feel free to debate amongst yourselves on who shot first. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. At a meeting focused on increasing the military-industrial output of the Russian Federation, Russian President Vladimir Putin urged business leaders to increase the production of munitions and to analyze the NATO weapons used in Ukraine. Putin added that Russian military equipment has effectively resisted Western weapons and proved its effectiveness well during the, quote, special military operation. Has it? Speaking of the Russian military, President Putin announced in a 15-minute speech he had signed a decree authorizing a partial mobilization of the Russian armed forces. The decree could impact up to 300,000 reservists and veterans who could be called up to military duty as early as today. Putin did not declare war, nor utter the word war in his speech, continuing to call the action in Ukraine a, quote, special military operation. He repeated the false claims that Russia is directly fighting against NATO and that, quote, gangs joined the Ukrainian army, which has been, quote, flooded with weapons. He repeated the false claim that Ukraine started the war, has aspirations to become a nuclear power, has brought NATO closer to the Russian border, was committing an endless list of war crimes, and was using nuclear extortion by weaponizing the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. After claiming Ukraine was being egged on into the war, he threatened to use nuclear weapons because Russia is in a, quote, fight against the entire military war machine of the collective West, end quote. He also said Ukraine is, quote, the historic lands of the new Russia, 
end quote. Putin reiterated the primary goal of this special military operation was only to capture the Donbass, while voicing support for annexation referendums in Zaporizhia and Kherson, just not directly by name. The laws codified by Putin do not empower total mobilization of the Russian people, nor decree nationalization of arms production. It does make the penalties for refusing to fight, insubordination and surrender harsher, closing a loophole for troops and contract soldiers already fighting in Ukraine. Putin claimed that the reservists being activated would receive, quote, additional military training. Historically, that training has been 7 to 14 days. He also said former army members in certain specialties would be mobilized first. Putin's decision appears to have been heavily influenced by 21st century Rasputin Alexander Dugin. On September 15th, Dugin called for partial mobilization, calling it, quote, inevitable. He wrote, quote, mobilization does not mean forced sending of conscripts to the front, end quote, and suggested a partial mobilization and volunteer units could solve the manpower problem. Dugin wrote that Russia was fighting to prevent its, quote, annihilation, a sentiment echoed in Putin's speech. He continued, quote, The West has declared war on us and is already waging it. We didn't choose this war. We didn't want it. End quote. Dugin's creed also repeatedly called Ukrainians, the West, and the Ukrainian government Nazis, which has become Russian code for anyone that stands against Russian aggression and expansion. As for nuclear weapons, Dugin struck a dangerous tone that Putin seemed to skate on the line of adopting, saying, quote, Whether it will come to the use of nuclear weapons is an open question, but the likelihood of a nuclear Armageddon is increasing every day. It is quite clear, and many American military leaders openly proclaim this. The West will no longer be satisfied even with our complete withdrawal from the territory of the former Ukraine. They will finish us off on our soil— insisting on unconditional surrender, end quote. Putin's messaging in his speech was eerily similar to Dugin's, although Putin only picked the most plausible bits from his, quote, brains war plan. Putin made it clear that when it came to weapons of mass destruction, he was, quote, not bluffing. It is worth noting that United States officials have never threatened to use nuclear weapons against Russia since the start of the war, and have openly said that public speculation or talk is irresponsible. Some assessment here? Once again, it has been zero whole days since Russia threatened to use nuclear weapons. This won't change the trajectory of the ongoing war in Ukraine. Russian citizens who were already in a patriotic fervor have previously stepped forward to rejoin the military, fight for Wagner Group and other PMCs, or volunteered on short-term contracts. Russia is a nation that on September 20th, was still recruiting soldiers from prisons, psychiatric hospitals, and the homeless on the street. The Russian Ministry of Defense claims to have killed over 100,000 Ukrainian soldiers while suffering only 6,000 losses. Okay, first of all, if Ukraine had suffered 100,000 killed in action, it would have suffered four to 500 wounded and missing in action and would be combat destroyed. Second of all, why does an army that deployed 170 to 190,000 troops on February 24th that has only lost 6,000 soldiers suddenly need to activate 300,000 reservists? Russia has another problem. A lack of essential military equipment, including uniforms, helmets, and modern small arms. 
Russian military units in Ukraine are already trying to crowdsource cold weather gear. Which brings up another problem. The bulk of the mobilized force will be arriving in Ukraine during the dead of winter, or will be sidelined until the spring. If they arrive in winter, Russian troops could suffer catastrophic casualties as they did in February and March from frostbite and hypothermia. If they wait until spring, though, Ukraine will be given months to continue to better train more effective units and be armed by Western allies. There is one other problem. While 300,000 is an impressive number, they won't all be grunts with guns. Every grunt with a gun needs four to nine logistics personnel behind them to keep them armed, fed, healthy, and supported. Stretching the number as far as it will go, 300,000 mobilized will translate into 75,000 grunts with guns. Now, grunts with guns are grunts with guns, but their combat strength will be low due to poor equipment, training, command, tactics, and morale. Nothing in Putin's speech addressed the rot within the Kremlin. One only has to look at the fate of the Third Army Corps, which was functionally eliminated before it fought in any significant battles. In another sign that everything is going to plan for the Russian special military operation, the Russian Ministry of Defense is withdrawing the 217th Guards Airborne Regiment from Syria for winter deployment in Ukraine. We've got a special assessment today. Let's talk about the Mutual Assured Destruction Instability Paradox. As the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the Western nations simmered, the United States, France, and the United Kingdom developed nuclear weapons programs while the Soviets created their own. In a little more than a decade after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the Soviets launched Sputnik, creating hysteria in the West and kicking off the space race. German engineers and scientists who had been captured at the end of World War II by both sides expanded on their research from the German V-2 rocket program. When Yuri Gagarin orbited the Earth, the age of ICBMs had arrived, and the strategic bomber started to become irrelevant. Before the advent of the ICBM and strategic nuclear weapons, there was an understanding that using bombers created a pause, if you will. Negotiation could still happen in the hours it would take for pilots to reach their targets. Time was added to identify a mistake, and it provided a buffer. ICBMs and submarine-launched missiles changed all that. By the time the Cuban Missile Crisis happened, it was evident that both the West and the Soviets possessed enough nuclear weapons to destroy the world. From that, the Doctrine of Mutually Assured Destruction, or MAD, was born. MAD is elegant and simple. You will never use your nuclear weapons against us, because our proportionate response will destroy you. We will both be destroyed. It's a weird game. No winners. MAD worked perfectly. There hasn't been a large-scale global conflict since the age of nuclear weapons. As the colonial period ended in Africa, there was significant upheaval, and arbitrary borders created by old men in conference rooms a century earlier were redrawn, sometimes in blood. One cannot ignore Korea, Vietnam, and Afghanistan, which became a quagmire for the Russians and later the United States. The world wasn't peaceful. But there was nothing on the scale of world war because MAD worked. Until it didn't. The theory behind the mutually assured destruction instability paradox, or MADIP, is also elegant and simple. You won't use your nuclear weapons against us 
because if you do, we will use our nuclear weapons against you, and we'll both be destroyed. But because you won't use your nuclear weapons, we can do anything we want, such as attack our neighbor and launch a genocidal war, because you won't stop us. Because if you try to stop us, we'll use our nuclear weapons and destroy you, and we don't care, or we no longer believe you can destroy us. At the beginning of the war in Ukraine, we wrote about Madip and, based on language from the Kremlin and Russian actions, believed we were on the path toward the instability paradox. If you consider it ten steps, the world got as far as step two or three. By June, the rhetoric of, we have nuclear weapons and we'll send thousand-meter-high tidal waves over England and Satan missiles to the United States and with just four we will destroy you, quieted down. The Kremlin's position weakened in July, and 48 hours ago, you didn't need to be an amateur military analyst to see the writing on the wall. So here we are, once again, on the path of the mutually assured destruction instability paradox, and the world has moved to step two or three. Russia has repeatedly gone to the well of threatening nuclear war when there have been evident military failures. If the war effort continues to unravel, where exactly is the line? And how will other nations respond if the threat of nuclear annihilation moves up to step 7 or 8? The problem with the paradox is, as you go further down the path, the faster it spirals out of control. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Deputy Prime Minister Irina Verichuk reported that investigators have confirmed that 2,161 Ukrainian children were taken from their parents and sent to Russia. Russia is trying to assign Russian guardianship to the children and make them Russian citizens through adoption. In Kharkiv Oblast, the border village of Hrushivka was shelled. Two civilians were killed and nine wounded, including four children. A week ago, these civilians were allegedly under occupation by Russia for their protection. Russian occupiers arrested Zahana Kisilova, a journalist who lived in Kahovka. A second woman, Irina Razumai, was also abducted. The charges, whereabouts, or fate of either woman is unknown. Representatives of the Media Initiative for Human Rights reported on the deplorable condition women prisoners are kept in. Detainees were not given any hygiene products. Sometimes, ten women were kept in cells designed for two or three people. After being brought to the place of detention, and especially to the Russian Federation, some were shaved bald, while others were not allowed to wash, comb, or tie their hair. No medical assistance was provided. Ukrainian officials reported that Russian soldiers either destroyed or looted 95% of the hospital equipment and supplies in the previously occupied territories in Kharkiv. Maxim Khaustov, director of the Department of Health in Kharkiv Oblast, said that medical brigades were already moving into the occupied areas with a low risk of shelling, and the medical systems were being restored. In geopolitical news, Denis Pushilin, the self-declared leader of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic, and his counterpart in Luhansk, Leonid Pasechnik, 
have declared September 27th a holiday so that voting can be held for the sham referendum to be annexed by Russia. Kiev has already declared this will change nothing in the war. Some assessment here. It is critical to remember that Ukraine has attacked Russia and Russian-occupied Crimea, both previously declared red lines by the Russian Federation that have been ignored. Dugin's nuclear doomerism aside. Vladimir Rogov, a collaborator from the Zaporizhia region, said that after the referendum, the entire Zaporizhia region will declare independence with an eye to the territories not captured yet and controlled by Kyiv. Quick sidebar here. Our assessment yesterday that the Kremlin would reject the request for annexation following logical reasoning was wrong. We missed the entirely illogical rationale of Putin and his inner circle. We maintain that with Ukraine already fighting in the Donbass, annexation that won't be recognized by most of the world does not become a magical you-are-now-at-war-with-Russia card. Sergei Lavrov arrived in New York City late yesterday, Pacific time, aboard a special flight from Moscow to attend the United Nations summit. Rumors that he would not be allowed into the United States because the flight crew was not issued visas were false. In economic news, the Russian stock market crashed after Putin's speech, with Moex dropping 8.7% and the U.S. dollar-denominated RTS falling 9.2%. The Dow Jones was unfazed before the opening bell. The ruble was volatile after Putin's speech, bouncing between 60 and 63 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices, however, were unmoved by partial mobilization, with WTI crude trading at $85 a barrel and Brent at $92 a barrel. RBOB wholesale gasoline on the spot market was at $2.47 a gallon, or $0.65 a liter. Chicago SRW wheat futures rocketed upward after Putin's speech, breaking the $9-a-bushel barrier for December 2022 delivery. Trading was volatile, hitting a peak of $9.14 in overnight trading. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.